Hey, Amazon sellers, arbitrageurs, and flippers, welcome to the Clear the Shelf podcast. I am your host, Chris Grant, and today's episode, we're going to be talking with Eli Glakowski. He is the proprietor of OALeadsPro.com. He is an online arbitrage sourcing genius in his own right. And we're going to chat a little bit about his new beauty list and why he's focusing on higher profit with lower ROI items. We're also going to discuss the benefits of outsourcing your prep, how to source properly, what to do, how to become better, and then we're going to dig into how to build a VA team to help scale your business. This was an incredibly fun episode with tons of gold nuggets from the man, Eli himself. I really hope you enjoy this episode as much as I enjoyed recording it. All right, enough of the intro. Let's get to the episode. What is going on? Happy Friday, all you Amazon sellers, price gaugers, and arbitrageurs. Welcome to this week's FBA Office Hours. Now, usually, this is something that is for my small VIP group. It's not something that we hold publicly every week. However, I've got a special guest this week, uh, Eli Glakowski. If you don't know him, you may have heard of his lead list service, OA Leads Pro. And uh, he was kind enough to uh, uh, squeeze me in. And so we've got him for about the next hour. And I'm going to do my best to get him to uh, open the kimono, if you will, about several things about online arbitrage and being a better sourcer. We'll talk how he's built a team of VAs and all kinds of things, how to outsource prep properly. Uh, and then, of course, if you have questions, make sure that uh, 
that you drop them and we'll ask those as well. So Eli, thanks for, uh, thanks for making time for me, man. I appreciate you doing this. Hey, Chris, how you doing? Thanks for having I'm me. Good. I'm doing good. How you doing? Good, good. Good. In the middle of, uh, of Q4 and, uh, uh, are you keeping your sanity so far? So far, so good. Things have been going pretty good this Q4. It's been like almost like a Q4 for the last year, year and some. So just keeping up that hustle that whole time. That's so it's a great. lot of fun. We've already got we've already got a uh, a compliment in the uh, in the comments. What a sexy couple of dudes! I, I appreciate <laughs> that. Uh, we are uh, we are some fine looking gentlemen, but. Uh, so I guess I always want to start off with, I know that you haven't really done lives before or anything like that. So uh, let's, let's get to know you a little bit. Tell, tell me yeah. your background. How did you get started on Amazon? What brought you to, you know, selling on, on online and all of that stuff? All right. I'll try to keep it a little brief. Otherwise I could go on a little bit, but I guess it all started in the, the first go around, I guess when I was much younger um, when eBay was a little bit of a thing, probably like a little over 20 years ago, I had bought this, um, product on eBay and I, by mistake bid on too many. So I won like five when I only needed one. And then I went and sold it back on eBay and made money. And that's when I realized I was like, wait, you could just buy something on eBay and then flip it and sell it for more money. I was like, that's pretty cool. So I started that little hustle on eBay where I was buying like bulk lots of like 10 or 50 of an item and selling them individually. And it was like, you know, a lot of fun. And I'd actually, you know, find local people that were interested in buying and things like that. So it was an interesting adventure. And then over the years that kind of, you know, slowed down. Um, and I was still doing a little bit of eBay. And then at some point I, I heard about Amazon probably around 2007, 2008. So I was like, sure, why not? Let's sign up for Amazon. You know, let's post some stuff up there. And I was like, you know, selling a little bit, not really much because I wasn't really focusing, didn't really, you know, know the marketplace very well. Um, and then fast forward a couple of years after that, I, I wasn't selling too much online at that point. I was, you know, doing different things and um, kind of the same way I fell into it in the first time around. Uh, my wife and I went to the store and she bought this item and then she decided she didn't like it. And then we flipped it on eBay for like three or four times the, the price. Oh wow! And she was like, oh, wow, this is this is insane. So then, you know, we kind of started getting back into that. And that was probably in around January of 2012. Um, and at that time, you know, I wasn't really familiar with all the different tools and things like that. But my wife, she had expertise in, in the beauty industry. Like she understood like the trends and what people were interested in. So we kind of got into that and we started uh, selling a lot of different beauty products. Again, we started a little bit with eBay and Amazon and then we kind of morphed into basically full-time Amazon. So that's kind of how we got into it. That's awesome. It's always, it's always kind of nice when, when your significant other catches the bug along with you. Oh yeah. Uh, kind of make, kind of makes that transition a little bit easier. Yeah. My wife is definitely a team player in this one. You know, she loves the the prepping and the sourcing and, following along with for the ride and it's it's been a good ride so far that's awesome that's awesome um so let's uh let if you guys don't know eli like i said you've probably heard of his lead list oa leads pro uh it's i would call it pretty popular uh in the community and uh, a lot of people absolutely love it there are some 
disciples of uh, his list. And we are gonna we're gonna commercial this for a moment. So you've got a new lead list coming out tomorrow. Yeah. But it's different than the usual list. Uh, yes. Can we talk about talk about what's coming out? And then I want to dig into why you decided to to kind of I don't know turn a corner a little bit on this list. Gotcha. Well, so up until now, I was going with the more traditional. Um, Meaning, um, when I first got into, I'll take a step back from when I first got into lead list, how I got into it was I actually tried a couple lead lists a while back. Um, and I actually saw, interestingly enough, some, some items that I had created the listings on Amazon uh, that later showed up on lead lists. And I was like, it got me kind of excited. And I was like, wait, this is kind of something that I know and I'm good at sourcing. I think I could come out with something that's even a little bit better than what I see out there. So... Uh, when I when I kind of joined that market and started creating lead lists, I was, you know, following based on what other people were interested in. And what most people are looking for in general is obviously a higher ROI item. So they're looking for something that sells okay, but also has a high ROI. So for every dollar they're putting in, they want to be making back at least 40, 50 cents or more. Mm -hmm. um, but through my own journey of selling on Amazon and by doing leads and sourcing all the time, I've come across so many items that kind of fall outside of this like standard window of opportunity that people are looking for that I myself source and sell in my business. And um, although I wasn't sharing a lot of it up until now, meaning I was sharing a little bit of it with bonus leads that I have on my list, I thought that I could dedicate an entire list to these leads that have the opportunity that don't typically come onto people's radar because the simple fact that the ROI number falls below a threshold that most people are not looking. Absolutely. And I don't know. So I'm not necessarily someone who needs an absolute, I've got to get my 30% ROI or bust. Right. Uh, I'm, I'm more than happy to take a 10% if, you know, if the, if there's a good reason. Yeah. And so can we talk a little bit about why you think it's a good idea to sell these kinds of products and why maybe the focus on ROI is maybe a little bit too high? Sure. I could, I could give you an example from myself. That's where I kind of like, I'm kind of like looking inward at this when it comes to this list. And that's how I made this decision was when I look at a product, even just with arbitrage as a whole, I always got to remember that a lot of places that we're sourcing from, has a built-in ROI. And what I mean with that is using um, an extension like Rev ROI, you know, and finding, you know, cash back and gift cards, you could go to a store and before you even talk about the item coming in and prepping and sending it to Amazon, you could be making 10 to 20% ROI in cash back. Mm -hmm. So that's just one thing that I'm always like, I always have in the back of my mind. You know, you have that bonus that's always there on the top. So Taking that into account, um, when it comes to the ROI, I really try to look at the bigger the 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 bigger picture or the different data points when I'm looking at a product. So for me, that's why ROI is not as important because if I could sell 30 of something every single day and it only has an 18% ROI, but if I have the capital to buy those products and sell them, and they're selling quicker than I could buy them. So would I not sell them just because they have an 18% ROI instead of, let's say, 28 or 38? Again, 
if someone doesn't have the capital and they don't feel comfortable going in at a, at a lower ROI, it totally makes sense not to look at items like that. But especially as you're moving forward and you have the time, you have the capital, uh, you look at the other data points and they're all matching up. So for me, it seems like I'm, I'm, for my business, that's like a no-brainer. Why wouldn't I go in on a product that's selling super well? Uh, the competition may not even be so high because other people are not doing the same thing. Um, it's easy easy to, to access those items. I could be replenishing it all the time, again, with maybe sometimes 10 to 20% ROI before it even hits Amazon. So again, when we're talking about the 18% ROI on Amazon, that's not taking into account any other things that we're padding on top, which could be cash back, gift cards, credit card points, and everything else that you know is encompassed in the benefits of doing arbitrage. So for me, that's so in, in my perspective, that's like a no-brainer for me in my business. I say if, if I feel like that's a good idea and I see success in that, why don't I share that idea with other people as well? Absolutely. And and that's before and you talk about replenishing those items. We haven't even talked about how you're you're compounding that growth over the course of a year. And that 18% ROI is really something much, much larger at the end of a fiscal year. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, now, tell me a little bit about the specifics of your new lead list tomorrow. And then, of course, like when and where people can sign up if they're interested uh, tomorrow, Saturday. Yeah. Tomorrow, yeah. the 20th. Yeah. So what, what we're focusing on this list is, first of all, we're limiting it to 20 people instead of 30. So in the past, all of our lists were limited to 30 people. And uh, for this go around, we're doing it for 20. Um, I've upped the price a little bit to account for the difference in numbers, but what we're offering over here, in addition to, to having less members is we're going to have a lower minimum profit to account or sort of to account for that lower ROI. So we're going for a minimum profit of, I think $7 per item mm -hmm. and the ROI is going to come down to a minimum of around 20%. Again, the goal is always to go higher. When, when we talk about minimums, minimums are you know, trying to give us a, trying to give us some type of criteria to work with, you know, if we don't give a bottom, so where's the bottom? So here we give a number that was our starting point. So obviously the goal is to go higher, but the minimums that we're shooting for are 20% and $7. That's what we're going for. Um, if, if all goes well, I mean, I would see really the averages being probably more in the thirties, maybe, you know, mid thirties or higher, if we can keep it that way. But again, we're trying to open up that window to give that opportunity because if you're shopping for a product and you, you come across something that sells 500 or 1,000 times a month and the ROI is, let's say, 25 or you're 22 or 28 or some type of percentage that starts with a 2, and which would normally scare people off. But all of a sudden you go and it's like sometimes I look at a keeper graph and I see those little red triangles and I'm like, I've never seen a straighter line before, for example. And I look and I pull it back for a year and I'm like, Wow, this thing has not even moved, not not even a millimeter up or down. So like that 25% is like almost a guarantee. I mean, nothing's guaranteed with Amazon, but when you look at that and you're like, I mean, it's selling 500 a month. That line has never wavered. I mean, and I could, you know, buy it easily, you know. Why shouldn't I do that? And and again, not taking into account the other benefits that are coming along like credit card points and and cash back and gift cards if you do it. So there's really more money on the table besides that. 
But see, so, so that's where I, you know, when I look at it, it's like, what else am I seeing besides the ROI that tells me that this is a good product? Yeah, absolutely. Those, I love, I love finding those where the Keepa is just a, you know, just a flat line. I mean, there's nothing yeah. better. Um, all right, perfect. And where can people go if they want to learn more about this particular, is it just oaleadspro.com? Yeah, OA Leads Pro, I put it up there right on top of all the lists. So before you even hit the list, we do have some spots open that I put up on the site. But before you get there, there is a little uh, box that um, has the details about the, uh, we're calling this Beauty List Pro because it's going to be all in the beauty category. Um, but again, we're gearing towards, you know, mo mo mostly sellers that have maybe some more capital um, and are looking for that higher profit item that's selling well and again we're limiting it to only 20 people so it's right there on our website uh, right that's when awesome. you scroll down past the uh, information on the top you'll see it right there and there's a, a box to sign up with your name and email to be notified when we go live tomorrow at 12 30. so there's a link awesome. over there to a page when you go there it'll just be be accessible tomorrow perfect uh, so we've got a couple of questions. So Abdul says, is this live or pre-recorded? Well, right now it's live. Uh, what's up, Brian? And then uh, one person's asking, how many hours do you spend vetting your leads? That, that's a great question. Um, I would say minimum four to five hours a day. Yeah, that's so I mean, every that's, single that's lead that's going out on my list has my eyeballs have seen them. So it's not like an automated system where someone's finding a lead, putting it on a sheet, and sending it out. Like every single thing that's going out is I'm looking at it, I'm looking at the keep a graph, looking at the cash back, writing notes on it, checking the coupon codes, what's the shipping cost, what's the weight on it, like you know, checking a lot of different data points before it goes out. So to make sure, again. We're, we're human. I'm sure there are mistakes that can happen, but I'm trying to eliminate as much of that as possible by putting the eyeballs in front of it and checking every single item before it goes out and double checking it. Awesome. All right, guys. So oeleadspro.com. That's the, that's the end of the commercial. Now yeah. let's dig into, let's dig into a little bit more, uh, a little bit more of the meat we, we talked about a little bit uh, before we came on. So yeah. I know one of the things that you really wanted to talk about were the benefits of outsourcing prep. And, you know, if I look behind you, it looks like you've done plenty of prep on your own. Yeah. Uh, but of course I know, and I know, you know, I'm just going to say it, but I know that you're not going to be in that space much longer. Right. Uh, and so you're going to be pretty much fully outsourced. Yes. So tell me a little bit about why that is and what the benefits are and kind of the best way to make that happen as you grow your business. Gotcha. Well, to, to start with, I know a lot of people, the first question people have is the, the hesitation or like the worry or the fear of giving your products and part of your business over to someone else. And to be honest, I had the same, me, my wife and I, we were doing all the prep for so many years um, that we had that same, that same question, that same worry when it came to outsourcing. And um, this was um, sometime in the beginning of last year that I realized that we were at a point where we just couldn't handle the prep in a timely manner. You know, we had a new baby at home and kids at home and all these needs and everything that, you know, you don't really want your products ever sitting stale at home um, or feeling like it's a burden, like, oh, I have to do this. Oh, I have to do this, right? Your business has to keep going. 
and some things are necessary and this is like an unnecessary burden so to speak so i did have that hesitation in the beginning and um when i first started um i was recommended to chas from network prep by you and your group uh with, with the oa challenge and i reached out to chas and he actually did a, a video for me and he walked through the process that he did uh, and we started out with him and he was doing our prep for quite a long time um, and then we started moving into a little bit of wholesale and that's kind of why we got our uh, warehouse and then we moved our prep over um, to the east coast one of the reasons was because we are doing deals on the east coast it's cheaper to uh, get products shipped to the east coast versus shipping it all the way across the country so now we work with uh, Edward at Heroic Prep I'm very happy and I think the thing that you know that was um, essential when looking for a prep partner is someone that you can trust, someone that you could communicate with, and someone that you feel that you can grow with. Mm -hmm. um, and you know, you know, I'll talk about the now. So now I work with with Edward at Hero and his team at Heroic Prep. Like I, I have that confidence knowing that when I send my products there, they're not going to sit. Um, I know that they're going to go out on a schedule. I know that I could send as much as I want and they will get to it. I trust the process that they have by, you know, handling my products well, prepping them well, making sure they're matching my items, sending them into Amazon, uh, and just doing everything the way I would do it. So therefore, I feel comfortable sending it to someone else to do it. Um, and, you know, after, you know, going back, looking back to before I did it to now that I'm doing it, it's almost like a no brainer that, you know, that's why I try to tell people now, um, taking out, um, you know, cause a lot of people talk about the fact that, uh, what, you know, most people live in tax states. So if you're ordering something, you're paying six, seven, eight, nine, maybe even 10% sales tax. So if you're buying a, a $10 item and you live in a 10% sales tax state, you're paying a dollar just to get the item to your house. That's before anything happens. Now you have to prep it, which can, you know, require a, a piece of bubble wrap. It could require a poly bag. You got to buy boxes and tape and labels, machinery for it, maybe a dedicated computer. Then there's all the time that goes into it. You know, some things take, you know, five minutes to prep or less. And some things can take, I mean, five minutes is like a lot, but something could take, you know, five per minute and something to take five minutes each. Or if you're getting mm -hmm. one of, one of multiple different items it's a lot of work so so without even looking at the fact that you know if you're using a prep center in a tax-free state essentially it could be free to prep your items even if you were to send it let's say to a tax state you know to your next door neighbor who you're paying 10 percent, just taking into account again the supplies that are going into it which again bubble wrap bags tape boxes labels all that stuff all adds up just the time that it takes to prep and, and imagine if you hired someone or if you had a warehouse. So now you have the warehouse space, the electricity, the internet, the insurance, the employers, the tax. You know, you get taxed for your payroll on top of the payroll. There's so much money that's being spent to really even out. You have to have a very large operation to really get to that point where it's really worth it to run your entire uh, operation on your own. And I think a lot of people fall into that window from when you start selling on Amazon to where you get to that point where you're so big that you could handle that entire overhead. And that's a large population of Amazon sellers that are selling enough that it's taking a lot of time, but not 
too much that it's worth it to go rent out a huge warehouse space and hire a bunch of people and get discounted rates on all their packaging supplies and to offset the tax and, you know, everything else. So, you know, to me, it became like a no brainer in hindsight to go and find a prep partner that can handle all my products. So when I have Edward and his team prepping my stuff, it's, it's almost like having an automated business in, in a certain sense. All I have to do is, you know, I go on walgreens.com, I make an order, and next thing you know, Amazon is sending me a check in the mail, you know, in, in those kind of things. Because I'm never touching the product. I'm just putting that information into a spreadsheet, which is getting communicated to a professional team of preppers that know what to expect. They're receiving my boxes, looking at my list. They're prepping and sending it to Amazon. And all I have to do is just make sure that I'm buying enough products to make money and just making sure that I'm doing some logistics on my end, you know, repricing, monitoring the inventory, you know, to make sure, um, you know, account health issues are stranded or things like that. But other than that, it's like an automated system. So the th my third point really is the freedom. You know, if you have a family with kids, maybe you have another job, maybe you just have a hobby you want to spend time doing. Um, you know, you have that burden of, oh, I got to prep, I got to prep or someone else is doing it. I'm paying them a fair amount of money. And then now I get my life back. You know, I don't have to spend my entire day worrying about, oh my gosh, I have this huge box behind me that I didn't prep and all this money in it. And what am I going to do? How am I going to get it to Amazon? You know, I have a headache. My, my kid is in school. I have to go to the soccer game. I want to go shopping. I can't do anything. I got to prep my stuff. Yeah. Yeah, I think it I think it really is one of the best things for people to do. The the return on your time is massive, number one. Uh, and if you think about it, you know, I always think about it from where I live. I, I pay seven and a half percent in sales tax. So if I have to pay a buck seventy-five for someone to go and prep all my items, well, at twenty-three dollars and thirty-five cents, I've broken even. Uh, and and my prep is essentially free because I would have paid that in sales tax. Uh, you know, but a friend of mine says that one of the only things you don't get paid for when you sell on Amazon is you don't get paid to prep. You get paid to buy because you can make money on the buy. And of course, you realize your profit when you sell the product. So repricing and things like that are important. But when you're sitting down and just stuffing boxes, I mean, it's just not the best use of your time. So being able to outsource it for really what is a pretty cheap price uh, when you think about it without having to manage people or a warehouse or anything like that, uh, managing people being the, the most difficult thing, uh, you know, it's it really is a uh, it's super inexpensive and a great way to uh, to spend a little bit of money. Yeah. Uh, let's yeah, see that's the so, one thing that I, you know, I, I, when I found prep centers, again, one of the things I talked about was communication. Um, mm -hmm. So what I love about it is like, you know, you know, now, like I said, I use Edward with heroic prep. Edward is great at communication. You know, I could ask him, you know, you know, what's going on every day, you know, anytime I feel the need to like, you know, have that like hand on my business and see what's going on with my products. And I could always reach out and say, Hey, can you tell me about my products? Is there anything going on? And, you know, just always know that there's that open line of communication. And that's something that, that I think is also very important, you know, having that 
not to feel like something is taken away from you and you and you can't touch it. You know what I mean? So even though the, the products are not in your hands, but being able to reach out at least with a text or a phone call or an email and know that, you know, you're virtually able to touch that. At least that's some type of comfort, you know, knowing that you have yeah. your hand on your products. Yeah, absolutely. And, and Edward's great at that. He's uh, I, I really like him. So uh, and that's I think heroic. he even has open spots for prep. Oh, nice. Uh, that's and that's heroicprep.com. If anybody's interested, just tell him you heard about him, uh, you know, from uh, Eli and Chris and uh, he'll treat you. He'll treat you. Well, he treats you well, no matter what, but uh, he'll treat you well if you tell him we sent him your way. Um, one person's curious, do prep centers have access to our seller central accounts? That's a good question. Um they do only to whatever extent you allow them to. So most prep centers, you're going to set them up as a secondary user. So they're not really having access to your account as a main user. They're just a secondary user, which means you could toggle which permissions you allow them to do. So for the most part, it's going to be just creating shipments and maybe having access to your inventory to add inventory or check your inventory to make sure they're matching products. They don't have to have access to anything else. No sales data, no reporting, no taxes, no payments. Like you could cut them off from everything besides the absolute necessity, whatever it takes to run their prep. So there's yep. no real worry that they're going to be looking at everything you're doing because they don't really have access to all that. All they have access to is your inventory. Yeah. Um, let's talk a little bit. Let's let's transition a little bit to sourcing. I, and, and this Justin brings up a good question. Um, so I'm going to, I'm going to ask his question and then I've got a few questions of my own. So Justin says, how did you get really good at consistently finding profitable products to sell? I'll find things to sell with OA, but it's been hard to find things day in and day out. Um, well, the first, the first part of the answer is that no, it's, it's not, there's no simple answer to something like that. And there's no easy answer. Um, I, I think for me, it's, it's almost like living and breathing within the business to a certain sense where you're constantly having your finger on the pulse with like through your personal email, monitoring emails that are coming through, um, monitoring trends that are happening around you using even a software like sales gazer that has all these promotions coming into there and filtering it out based on, you know, needs and wants that you have really just constantly like, it's almost like going inside the source, like you're always in there and looking around at what's going on, you know? So like this, you're getting, you know, emails from target every other day about sales and Walgreens and CVS and Rite. And you're getting these emails and you start kind of figuring out um, where the important information is around you and how to like drown out the noise. Cause there's a lot going on around when it comes to like sales and products that are available. And really if you become like passionate about that, the sourcing of it, you start figuring out where, where to go and how to go about it. And I guess it takes time, but again, trying to really like take it more personally, instead of just like going in front of a computer and pressing a few buttons, which anyone can really do. But if you want to become great at it, you really have to like dive in head first and try to really grasp the, uh, the nuances of all the, of everything that's going on. Mm -hmm. And if you if you take some time and do that, like, if, for example, we know that we know that at Walgreens, they're going to have the same or a very similar sale just about every six weeks, you know, so 
whatever the sale is this week, it's probably going to come back on a fairly consistent basis. And you're going to see that same thing play out site after site after site. Yeah. Uh, and and you'll you'll just become yeah you're kind of inside the matrix after a while and, and you yeah. just kind of like oh, okay i need to go over here because i know that they've got a sale either coming or or whatever um you know but so the other thing to justin's point i think is like you can make money on full priced products too sales are awesome because it helps you build an roi right off the right off the get go and if they're limited time sales you might catch it when someone else doesn't, uh, you know, but if you take enough time, I know that you find products at places oh, like yeah. Walmart and Target that aren't necessarily on sale that you can still All the time. sell profitably. Uh, and so slow down with your sourcing and and you'll get there. I promise. I think another, like another thing that I would say to your point about like how to find full price products, it's really about sometimes taking a step back in the middle of that whole, you know, hustle and bustle of sourcing. When you all of a sudden, when you see something that sticks out to a certain point, like let's say you're sourcing, I don't know, trash bags and you find a product that is almost good, but it's just not there. You know, the profit's a little low, the ROI is a little low, but I mean, overall it looks like a pretty good product. It just doesn't really meet your criteria. So what I would do is I would take a step back and say, well, one second, if this is almost good, what are the chances that something else from this brand or this store or this category actually will be good? Because if something is almost good, so if you see something and it's like losing money, then you're like, okay, most probably another thing from the same brand is also not going to be making money. Maybe someone has that a wholesale deal. Maybe they get it cheap or whatever it is. But if you find something that's almost good, or especially if you find something that's good, then that's when you really got to take that step back. And you talk about it, Chris, all the time about the rabbit trails, but that's like where that comes in. You got to really like know when to like slow down and like pick up the signs around you of, wait, something is going on here and it's a good something. Let's like fish around and see what's going on around here. Mm -hmm. And Justin, I'll give you, I'll give you like a real life example. I won't give you the brand or anything like that just in case someone's selling it, but I found a brand at Walmart, okay, and and I showed this to to our small group. When you stepped back for a moment and you looked at the brand as a whole, and specifically this particular product, I found uh, you know a set of five that was profitable, and then I was like, you know what, with this kind of product, I'll bet money that there are other quantities out there because it's not something that. Uh, it's not something that I would buy in a pack of five, but it would make sense for me to buy in a pack of two. So I dig a little bit deeper and sure enough, there's a pack of four and a pack of three and a pack of two and a single and all of them, but the single were profitable buying full price. Uh, and it just took, you know, five extra minutes. And yep. I mean, essentially they all sold pretty well. Essentially, with that one product, you could then go list on four different listings and kind of hedge your bets a little bit. And uh, so you'll you'll find that a lot. Bundles um, and multi-packs are, you know, a lot of people talk about it in the sense of creating them. But how many exist on Amazon is just an astronomical amount. And mm -hmm. sometimes you'll find two or three or four of the same exact listing that exists. And, you know, you'll have 
two that are selling for $20 and two that are selling for $26. And you can just list on the ones that are selling for $26 and sell them all day. Because with the search algorithm, there's people buying all of them. So there's so many uh, uh, bundles and multi-packs that are out there that are amazing to source um, at full price from big retailers like Walmart and Target, like you said. Yeah. Uh, Brian's curious, how much time do you spend per day like reviewing uh, leads and then purchasing for yourself? Yeah, I think it kind of goes back to what we were talking before about how many hours. So, yeah, I spend like a lot of hours a day sourcing. So mm -hmm. I think it was like minimum four to five, usually more like five to six hours a day sourcing. Um, but for myself, you know, I have um, I do a little bit of some of my sourcing happens while I'm sourcing for lists, uh, of course, because, you know, I'm out there finding products and, you know, finding things that work for me, too. Um, and then when it comes to buying, you know, I like to be very consistent with my buying. So I'm all about buying things over and over again, replenishing. So for me, it's more of like, uh, it's not that time consuming to actually do the buying. And I could throw a couple of minutes here, a couple of minutes there. And I usually sit down at night before I go to bed for like 30, 45 minutes and get most of my buying done. Then if I get it done during the day while I'm sourcing, that's always a, a bonus. But I always know before I go to bed, I'm going to make sure I hit my quota. And that's like mm -hmm. something that we you always talk about. I know about the numbers and understanding all that and breaking it down to like, you know, unit by unit by unit. And that's kind of how I follow it. I have a spreadsheet mm -hmm. where I just keep track of my basic goal of how many units and dollars I want to spend every day. And before I go to bed, I sit down and I make sure that I am, you know, up to my goal for the day, for the week, for the month. And then I could go to sleep resting, knowing that I kept that consistency. I bought my products and I'm good for a new day. You, you, that point was, was quick, but I think it's, it's really important. Your goal for a day, a month or a day, a week and a month. So <clears throat> how important do you think it is that people set those goals uh, that way that, you know, they kind of keep pace and keep track of, of what they need to do to make sure that their business is going the way that they want to go. So to be honest, for many years, I didn't do it. Uh, mm -hmm. I was just, you know, buying good deals, buying things over and over, and I wasn't tracking it properly. And, and But then I realized as my business was growing, especially in the last year or so, that you really got to reverse engineer those numbers. You can't get to that finish line without putting that work in and without understanding what it takes to get to that finish line. I, I was, you know, a marathoner for many years. So I know what it takes to, you know, train for four to six months just to run one race, you know, at a certain pace. And I think it's the same thing with Amazon. It's, it's a marathon. It's not a sprint. It's a long haul. And to get to that point, you got to really understand where you're trying to go and how to like work backwards to get where you're trying to go. And I, you, you really drill that in all the time, especially when you do the OA challenge, you talk about the, you know, if you sell, you know, a hundred units at $10, you know, et cetera, et cetera. And I think that's very important, you know, to understand, like when people talk about a six figure business and a seven figure business, like you can't just get there by making good buying decisions, but not understanding what is going to happen later with those buying decisions and how much you have to buy and how, how many units and how many dollars and how much time you have to spend to get to that finish line. And for me, it's like, that's how I look at it. I know at the end of each month, how much do I want to sell 
because the amount that I sell translates to how much profit I make. And, you know, I want to provide for my family. How much money do I need for that? And so now I know if I want to make, you know, if I wanted to make, let's say, $10,000 in profit a month, I know that, let's say, I have to sell $50,000 a month, for an example, with a 20% margin. And to sell $50,000 a month, I have to sell, let's say, what is that, like $1,600 a day or something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, so if my cost of goods is averaging about 50%, let's say on the higher end, so now I know I have to spend $850 a day to reach my goal of selling $1,600 a day, or $1,700 a day in order to get to my goal of selling $50,000 a month in order to get to my goal of making that $10,000 in profit. So if I don't understand how to get there and just, you know, I'm just like in that rat race and I'm buying and selling and buying and selling, but I don't really understand how I'm going to get there. I'm never going to get there because I don't, I don't know the numbers. So I think it's important because it's so, it's so easy. Some of it, it's not even like, we're not talking about tracking product by product by product and having like a sophisticated replan sheet or, you know, where you bought and how much you paid. We're talking a very basic, how much money and units you have to buy in order to equal whatever goal you're trying to reach. So I think it's an easy thing to do. If you have a spreadsheet that just has the day of the month and you put down every day how many dollars you spent and how many units you bought and just keeping track of that and having a number in the beginning of the month that you know where you're trying to hit and then every day just following through and making sure you're getting to that number. Absolutely. You know, you you touched on something and I kind of passed over on it a little bit, but you touched on when you're buying maybe, you know, 45 minutes or an hour every single night. A lot of times you're working on your replens. Mm-hmm. And I know that in the Amazon community, especially in the arbitrage community, replens are this, I don't know, this gold standard, this thing that everyone, I don't know. To me, it seems like the community makes it seem like replens are always out of reach. And, and we're always looking for that that new product, that next home run. Mm-hmm. Um what advice could you give to people to make it simpler to realize that everything is a replen and, and how do you handle it? Yeah. I mean, you said it right there with the question. Every, like when I, when we say everything is a replen, like, you know, I, I, that's why I don't like the word replen. Every item that's selling on Amazon is a replen because a, a replen, you know, um, in reverse to what most people, you know, consider a replan from a consumer standpoint, from a consumer standpoint, a replan is, you know, I, I drink coffee every morning. I drink, a, I drink, let's say two cups of coffee, it, you know, requires, you know, beans. So I go to the store every month and I get my bag of beans and I drink my coffee. So from a consumer standpoint, a replan is typically like a consumable product or like you always talk about like a pair of socks or your hat or a t-shirt or something that you wear the same thing and you buy over and over again. But that's really not what a replenishable item is because we're not buyers on Amazon. We are sellers. And Mm -hmm. as a seller, a car is a replan. A house is a replan. It doesn't matter what it is. If people are like, if if one person is buying a house, but there's a million different people that want to buy that same house, that's a replan because as long as you could buy it and sell it to a million different people, it doesn't have to be to the same person. So every item that you're looking at is a replan, is a replan. Anything that you go on Amazon, you go on Amazon, you type any, you type shoes, it's a replan. You type computers, it's a replan. What is the, what is the idea of a replan from a seller standpoint that you could buy it consistently at a cheaper price? Hey guys, this is your host, 
Chris Grant, and I am taking a quick break from the episode for the sponsor. The sponsor this episode is going to be my own book, The Tactical Arbitrage Playbook. My friend Nate McAllister and I got together and wrote a 150-some page book all about how to make you more money using tactical arbitrage. We don't make any money from it. It's, it's, all, it's as free as it can get on Amazon. Please make sure to head over, buy the paperback book, grab yourself a Kindle copy, or if you have Kindle Unlimited, you can get it absolutely free. Just search Tactical Arbitrage Playbook on Amazon. All right, that is the end of our Extreme Profit Timeout. Let's get back to the episode. I hope you enjoy. The other thing is when people talk about consistently buying it at a cheaper price, it doesn't have to be necessarily a full priced item that you're buying at Target that you could buy every day. Like Chris mentioned, when a store like Walgreens is running a sale every six weeks, it could be a replen that you're buying every six weeks. That's also a replen. I have products that I've been selling for 10 years that I don't buy them regularly every day. I don't have access to them because they're not at a good price. But the brands go on sale every three, four weeks. And every time it goes on sale, I just grab a bunch and then I wait for the next sale and I do it over and over again. But everything that I look at on Amazon, in my eyes, is a replenishable item. As long as I could get it for cheaper and I could keep getting it over and over again, whether it be every day, every week, every month, every year, it doesn't really matter. A replen could be a seasonal coffee at Trader Joe's that's only there once a year, but I'm buying it every year at the same time and reselling it. So it doesn't have to be every day. As long as you could keep buying it for cheap and reselling it, it's a replenishable item because as a seller, you can replenish it. Because I don't, I don't really, as a seller, I don't care who's buying it. It could be the same or different people. At the end of the day, they're paying the price that I want to sell it for and I'm making that profit. So it doesn't matter to me what's happening on the other side of the Amazon screen. What's happening on my side of the screen is that I'm buying it for cheaper and selling it for more expensive. Exactly. Uh, and sorry, we've got people are just, you know, <laughs> knowledge bombs. Uh, so let's see here. I want to make sure we answer a couple more questions here. Oh, uh, David is curious. Do you use the Keepa product finder to help you source? Personally, I don't even use a lot of software at all. Personally, I, I use everything to a, to a certain extent and certain pieces of it. Um, Keepa has so many amazing things. I mean, I've said I, the amount of times that I've, you know, sat through the OA challenge and seen your videos. And it's like, every time I sit through an OA challenge, it's like three new things just stick out. Meaning it, it's something that you've mentioned before, but like, you're like, like even just the other day I was sitting on a page and like, you see on Keepa, it has like this little link on top. It says like products that sell well, similar to this or something like that. And you press on it and it launches Keepa. I mean, there's so many buttons you could press to find products. I personally don't use as much only because, again, I've been doing this for so long. So for me, it's a little bit easier and I know a little bit more off the top of my head. But when it comes to things that I don't know off the top of my head, I will definitely reach out to a tool like Keepa and press those buttons and find those products. Because, of course, you can't know everything about everything. So mm -hmm. when it comes to like things that I've never heard of or seen of newer categories that I'm not as familiar with, I, I go straight to those softwares to at least point me in the right direction and get me going. And then the biggest software of them all, Mr. Google, that, uh, you know, tends to answer a lot of questions. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. I, I think, I don't know. I think everybody wants this push button easy thing. And, and while I'm a big fan of being able to use software as leverage in our business, 
uh, sometimes you just have to dig in and do the work and, you know, not just stop at page one of Google, but go to page two and three and, uh, and kind of all those nooks and crannies that other people won't go looking for. Yeah. I think that's another thing that people <clears throat> miss out. Like when I go to Google and I'm reverse sourcing from Amazon, it's not just page one. It's not one. I'll be opening multiple pages. I'll opening, I'll go through their shopping, you know, from shopping link on shopping. You'll have five different variations to click on all those. Go to page two, page three, get a little creative. There's always ways to really, you know, it is, it's the same thing when you're using software, when you're using Keepa, when you're using tactical arbitrage, when you're using anything, you have to get a little bit creative to really find, you know, things that are lying out there in the corners that are not as easy. Because if it was easy for everyone to do it, everyone would be doing it. So it's really mm -hmm. about finding those little areas that people are not looking, which is everywhere. Yeah. One of my favorite quotes about Google is the best place to hide a dead body is the second page of Google because nobody goes there. Uh, and it's true. You're going to find some absolute gold if you guys go past the first and first and second pages. Um, let's see here. So someone is curious, does setting goals or large goals for daily purchase ever make you feel like you make a, a poor purchase because you have to hit that goal? Okay, that, that's a great question. So the way I do it is I, I try to set a goal. First of all, I try to set a goal that's below what I think I could hit. That's number one. So I'm not trying to set, meaning I set a high goal because you could set a goal. I mean, what a goal is unlimited. You could keep going up and up and up and up. You know, up is unlimited, right? Down, you hit the floor right away. But up, I mean, you could keep going up. So you set a goal within like, a manageable number again based on your history of how much you buy you're not just going based off of what another seller is doing you're going based on what you do and what's considered a reasonable amount of growth um, the other thing is i set that goal knowing that some days i'll be able to really shoot over it and be like ahead of that curve so therefore i don't have to really worry so when i say i make let's say a goal that i want to spend a thousand dollars a day that doesn't mean that some days i'll spend zero dollars or a hundred dollars or five hundred or eight hundred it just means that I want to average that. And um, I personally like to spread it out a little more even because I don't like to really make huge purchases in one day. And I kind of like to spread it out a little bit for several reasons. First of all, I get to see data points along the way. So if a product tanks, you know, two weeks into a month, if I bought everything on day one and it tanks on week, you know, week two, I'm stuck with the product. But if I'm buying five a day for 30 days, if at week two it tanks, I only, there's only risk of two weeks worth of product. Um, but yeah, I like to set goals that are within reasonable goals that I know I could really do more, but I don't really want to like set the bar too high. So to your point, like, I don't want to get to that point where like, uh Oh, I need to catch up. I'm going to start making bad buys. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I think, I think that's really important. I think, I think people want to stretch a little bit too far, uh, right from the beginning. And, and I'm not, you know, I may be reading into your question a, a little bit too much about uh, uh, about setting these goals, but I would also suggest to think about it this way. It's it's OK to grow slowly. So, you know, if you want if you have the capital, let's say you have the capital to spend five hundred dollars a day, but you're not sure that you could do that and make good purchases to spend that entire five hundred dollars a day there's nothing wrong with saying, you know what, my goal is going to be $200 a day because I know that if I find two good products, I could spend that $200. And then as you become better and you're kind of 
more inside the matrix, uh, you know, kind of like we were talking about earlier and uh, you know what a good buy is and you're more comfortable, then you could increase that and say, you know what, I'm ready to spend 400 or $500 a day uh, because I have the capital and I want to grow this business. Uh, and there's absolutely nothing wrong with that. I, one of the things that I think that we get stuck on, and I love seeing screenshots of other sellers, you know, uh, a friend of mine uh, recently hit $10 million in a year uh, and they're all like RA. And like, I think that's awesome. You know, I want to, you know, I want to pat them on the back and, and give them a hug. But on the other hand, uh, I don't ever want someone to feel like, well, I've got to get that big or I'm failing. Like your story is going to be different than Eli's is going to be different than mine is going to be different than those folks who just hit 10 million. So make sure you're doing, you do you. Um, so sorry, I'll get off my, my, no, I got yeah, it's, it, it's a great point right there. I mean, goals, that's a, like, when you were saying that it, it was like reminding me of like, in my mind, goals are not really dreams. Dreams are, you know, you dream big, everyone dreams big goals can be attainable goals that are stretchable along the way. Like they don't mm -hmm. have to be dreams. Dreams are always going to be out there and goals, you know, you could start your goal out low and you could keep moving that goalpost, you know, more and more and more. It's, it's again, the ceiling, you know, the sky is high. You can keep going higher and higher. You don't, your goal yeah. doesn't have to be your dream. It could just be that goal for today, that goal for next week, the goal for next month. And then that, yeah. and then if you see that it's, that it's going well, you could just stretch that a little bit. All right. I want, I want to get to Martin's question and then I've got my own question and I want to, transition a little bit to uh, to how you built out your VA team. Uh, so Martin is curious, how do you manage all of this with the new, uh, what he says, stringent restock limits? Um, so always, you know, it, Amazon's always throwing curveballs. That, that's that's the, uh, the nature of the Amazon beast. You know, again, we've been, you know, I know Chris and I have been doing this for many years and these curveballs, they come all the time in, in terms of, you know, storage limits, fee increases, per item limits, like it, it constantly changes. And I think uh, what, what we've learned, at least in the last year or two, as far as like restocking is when you see a good deal, don't feel the need to buy it all out. <laughs> I My focus is like what I was just saying before, like buying small pieces a little bit at a time. My goal is to keep as little stock at Amazon so it's selling quickly because I'd rather have too little than too much because Amazon is going to penalize you if you have too much that's not selling. So you'd rather like miss out on that dollar made, but in the big picture, your business is doing better because your items are turning over quicker and your cash is turning over quicker. So just because Walgreens has this like 75% sale, it doesn't mean you have to go clear the shelf. You could get a reasonable amount and then there will be something else to buy tomorrow and the next day and the next day. There's always something out there. So you don't have to really worry about like just loading it up all in one second, you know? Mm. So you just got to focus on like the short term, midterm kind of like stock levels. Mm -hmm. Yeah, we, we know, and Amazon's making it more and more clear that they're just, they don't want to be that long-term storage facility like they used to be. Uh, you know, people who had 70, 80, 120,000 books sitting there for two, three years, uh, and we're paying, you know, almost zero rent on those things. Uh, you know, finally, Amazon just got big enough. They can't do it. And so I would imagine that sticks around for a while. Um, 
you know, and the but, other thing, just my, sorry, sorry, one more yeah, point. No, go ahead. That Amazon, as much as they want you to grow, they don't expect or really, let's call it, allow you to just grow three, four X overnight. They're not just going to give you root just because like you bought, you know, if your limit is a thousand and you bought 6,000 units, they're just not going to let you send it because you want to sell more. They want to see a gradual increase. So they're going to increase you if you're selling, if your items are coming in and selling well, they're going to increase it for you most likely, but they're not just going to allow you overnight just because you, you're a good seller and you want to sell. They're not just going to open the gates and go, okay, send everything you want. They want that mm -hmm. gradual increase. So they use that like average kind of number. Yeah. Um, oh, you, uh, you and you made another point that I think we should touch on for just a moment. Uh, not necessarily clearing the shelf. Now, with someone who has a blog called cleartheshelf.com, uh, you know, it, it sucks that sometimes we do have to pull back a little bit uh, and not clear the shelf. However, we have being in the arbitrage space, we have uh, a unique opportunity that is probably never going to go away. There have been inequities in marketplaces well forever I, I mean if you ever have sat on in on an oa challenge I, I even talk about how like the sumerians were taking you know advantage of inequities in marketplaces and that's what we do and it's just it's not going away so eli's point about there always being another deal around the corner uh is a million percent true uh, and one more question regarding purchase limits, especially stores that only allow uh, one or a handful of units per order. Do you still source those types of items or brands knowing that it's going to take so much longer to use different accounts to get the number of items that you want? Um, or do you focus on places where you can get a little bit more quantity without all of the hassle? I mean, my answer would be all of the above, <laughs> you know, there's no reason why to be involved with everything. Um, and then, you know, there's always the opportunity of um, having other people buy for you as well. So then instead of you spending the time, you know, opening 15 accounts, you could have maybe a sibling or a cousin or a neighbor or someone that doesn't mind, you know, they don't mind making cash back credit, you know, if they want to use their credit cards, credit card points, Give them a small finder's fee. It could be a very small, like some people just like shopping. So if mm -hmm. you're going to offer someone like even the smallest incentive to go out there and shop and they'll take that, the, the, the sort of headache for you of shopping that they enjoy, they'll shop for you and you pay them a small amount of money. You give them the perks of the cash back. Again, if they use their credit cards, they could get credit card points. And then it's a win-win. They're enjoying the shopping experience on someone else's dime. They're getting paid to do it. And you're getting more products. So there's ways to really like alleviate that headache of having to have multiple accounts. But I do it myself. I have multiple accounts. And, and I also go heavier on places that allow you to do multiple orders in larger quantities. I really do a little bit of everything, you know, because you don't mm -hmm. want to cut off any supply just because it's slightly inconvenient. Because then think of how many other people are doing the same thing. So you're going to have an advantage by not doing that. Exactly. Um, I want to talk a little bit about maybe... And I don't want you to necessarily, you know, spill any of your personal trade secrets, but I mean, what sets you apart from everybody else? What do you do differently, you know, sourcing uh, or things like that, that you think, you know, might actually help other people a little bit more? In which, which aspect? It could be anything. Is it just the fact that you, you know, have spent more time, you know, doing the work and, uh, and putting in the time or, 
you know, is there, you know, do you have any, you know, secret tips that you don't normally spill out there that I can, I can get you to spill out here? Um, I think for me, it's, um, I like, again, getting my hands dirty and being inside the process. So I'm not really, you know, as much as I like having people around me that I could rely on to, to help me in my business, outsourcing, you know, prep services, repricing services, I still like to be in the know of everything that's happening. So I'm not really looking to create an automated system. You know, having people that work for you is not really about having automation. It's about having help to because your time is worth a lot of money and your time is important and you don't have enough time in the day to do everything. But I like to really have my hands on the pulse of everything that's happening. So, you know, I'm, I know what's, you know, I know what's going on across the board. And therefore, when, when I make a decision, whether it be a buying decision or a selling decision or anything in between, that I really know everything that's happening along the way. And I really understand everything that's happening along the way. I understand what it takes to prep a product from every angle. I understand you know, how it would sell and what prices it should sell. I understand that the buying side of it, how the cycle works, really understanding the entire cycle as hands-on as you can. And usually that comes by experience and by doing things yourself also, and not necessarily jumping to outsource it the first second you can, but first really understanding the process very well. As far as like, you know, when it comes to like, let's say with leads and sourcing, for me, it's more, again, I spend, I, I like to get really focused on and really look at as many um, data points and, and pieces of information as I can. So it's not like, I'm not trying to make a quick decision always. It's not always about how quick you can make a dollar. It's about how efficient and well and how consistent you can be about it. So again, that boils down to the idea of really understanding every little thing that's happening and trying to understand as much as possible of the entire picture. Perfect. All right, let's let's transition a little bit. I, I we're we're about at an hour, so I don't want to keep you too much longer. I know you've got a okay. family; it's a Friday, all that. But let's talk a little bit about how you have built out a team to support your leads, support you in business. Um, how did you go about starting to hire virtual assistants? Because uh, I, I know everybody wants, you know, right. at least one or even a, a team of their own. So yeah. what would you suggest people start with to start hiring VAs? Good question. First of all, I was having a conversation with another seller earlier today before this live, and we were talking about VAs and some of the misconception, I think. Mm -hmm. I think some of the misconception is that VAs, are, again, are like an automated system. You know, you hire someone and then they do everything for you. And you know what I mean? It's like a software. You, you get a software and it does everything and you just don't have to do anything. And I think that's some of the misconception. A VA is just a remote worker. It's someone that's employed by you that lives somewhere else. They could live next door. They could live in another state. They could live in another country. It doesn't really matter where they are. They're just virtual. They're not in your office. It's a remote worker, essentially. So if you're looking at it from a standpoint of you want someone that's automated, I don't think that really exists in, a, in, 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 the, uh, in, in the real world of, uh, you know, of, of Amazon. There are people that promise it, and there may be people that know uh, that can do a pretty good job, but it's not really an automated process. So that's really what, you know, for me, it's finding, finding people that I can, uh, that, that I bring onto my team that I really have to have like a hands-on, uh, it's like a hands-on experience. It's not like, 
you know, I'm looking for someone that knows how to find stuff on Amazon. Okay, go find stuff. You know, it's not like, it's not so simple as just putting out a job and, you know, a job post. And so, I mean, you could get lucky like that. You know, it's like with everything, you could put a job post and a rock star walks through your front door and you're set for life. You know, people have that, you know, you get that one employee that comes in and they're just, that's it. Your business is amazing. You found that guy off of a, off of an ad and it's just like, it worked out. But, you know, I would say, more than nine out of 10 times, people that are coming to work, whether it be remotely or in your business, are not going to be that like that rock star that walked through the door and knows everything exactly of how your business runs or how it's going to run or what you're trying to achieve. So for me, it's been like bringing people on board. Uh, I started actually with help from someone else who actually knew how to hire. I, I didn't really know how to hire people you know, remotely. Um, I had never done it. I had, I had a friend of mine that's, I mean, he's remote, but he's, um, he, he's a friend from, you know, that I knew for a while back that he works with me. So him, it was like easy, you know, you know, people, you reach out to your people in your network, which is also a good thing. You can reach out to people in your network that, you know, you think might have a knack for it and might understand it. And you could, you know, hire them as VAs or remote workers to work for your company. But as far as like hiring people that I, that I haven't met or know, so I actually used someone to help me do that let's call it a VA headhunter, so to speak, someone who just had the experience. And they got me started with my first VA. And the idea is really, after you put an ad looking for someone, I think the real, um, like the secret sauce in that is really funneling them through some type of process that gets you to the, to the bottom of the funnel. So you're going you're gonna to have, let's say, 100 people that apply for a job. But how are you going to narrow it down before you even decide you know, how you're going to train them? and get them to that rock star status because you know most people are not showing up at that status to get them to that point first you have to vet out a lot of people so you have to create some type of system of you know maybe a questionnaire maybe like some type of you know secret codes in your in your post things like that anything that, that you can to really weed out or kind of lessen that pool of people because a lot of people are applying you have to lessen the, the amount of people you're looking to because you can't really vet a hundred people. If a hundred people mm -hmm. apply, you want that narrowed down to let's say 10, 15. And it's okay if someone that's great gets lost in the other 80 or 90, because there's always something that you're going to be missing. So you can't always worry about what you're missing and like, oh, I have to look at all 100 because maybe someone didn't follow the steps and they're really good. But you know, if they didn't follow the steps that you set forward, like if you told them right in the subject line, you know, Amazon is great. And then someone was really good at it, but they didn't put that in the subject line. And that was part of your weeding out process. You just can't worry about the fact that you're going to miss out on it. You got to also make it to a certain extent. You got to think about your time and effort that it takes to going into finding someone. So for me, over time, I've created that process where you put a job post out and you try to put as many, you know, key points into that job post that like, you know, will weed some people out. But then again, you put a post out, a ton of people are just going to send resumes, even if they have no experience. So I think for me is setting, um, a, a questionnaire right off the bat when someone wants to apply. And in that questionnaire, you set maybe five or 10 different things that right away weed out people that just have no clue about what you're trying to achieve. And it could be with, if you're trying to have someone use tactical arbitrage, you're going to ask them one or two things that are specifically related to that. If their answers are wrong, you just, you just, you could put it, put it aside. You don't have to worry about it right now. And the reason why is again, you're getting a large pool of people that are applying. So you want to be able to like really focus on the people that are able to check all the boxes, at least initially. So I guess when it gets to the, to the point of training someone, 
you don't all of a sudden like after like a week of going back and forth, it's like, wait, this person actually doesn't even know anything about what we're doing. And I wasted a whole week trying to like hire them. So I think setting up that, that funnel through like questionnaires and back and forth email templates, like I said, of templates that you go back and forth that really help weed out the people that just say that they're interested and they know how to do it, but don't really know. And sometimes it could be a good thing to find someone that doesn't know as much, but depending on where you're out of your business, you may not have the time to train somebody and start telling them, Hey, there's a website called amazon.com arbitrage is when you go to another website, like maybe you don't want to find someone that's so new that doesn't know it. So you're going to have some type of way of filtering those people out. And then once you get them to that point where you filtered out the people to the point where you know you have people that at least understand what you're doing and where you're trying to go and what your goals are and also what their goals are. I like to find out from people what their goals are. So we're kind of aligned in our goal. So I'm just not finding people. I want people that know where I want to go and I know I want to know where they want to go. So, you know, we're not two ships in the night. We're kind of on that same path. So once I get them to that point, then you have to create some type of basic. It doesn't have to be so elaborate. Like when people talk about SOPs, like you don't have to create this extremely elaborate, like, you know, employee handbook that you're handing to someone on day one. Even in the beginning, you have to have, but you have to have at least simple processes that you're able to at least outline to people. And even in a few steps, again, as you're bringing people on board, you want to be able to at least have them understand the basic processes that are happening in your business on the, on the day-to-day you know, aspects. Again, it doesn't have to be that detailed employee handbook. That could be something that comes later on with videos and more documents and more processes. But again, you have to have that like gradual process where it starts with like, everyone's coming into one place. Then you got to constantly like that, that funnel that has to just keep getting smaller and smaller and smaller until you find the right people. And I think that's, you know, you got to really, and that's something that you learn as you go along is setting up more and more almost like roadblocks along the way. That's really stopping those people that are just let for, for lack of a better term, wasting your time and yeah. say that they, that they're good for the job, but they're not. So you want to really set up some roadblocks. So when you get to that point of actually trying to train somebody, you know that this person is a very strong candidate and there's at least, let's say, a 50, 60 percent chance that they're going to be successful with your business. Yeah, absolutely. That's that's perfect. And I don't know, some of those questions, they don't always have to be like, oh, well, you know, go find this product and find or find me a profitable product. I mean, it could be as simple as, you know, do the people pay attention, you know, right. uh, you know, because you want to make sure that you're you have people that are trainable and, uh, you know, willing to do what you ask and that kind of thing. Um, so, and, uh, someone is curious, do you use any VAs from the Philippines at all? Yes. Yes. Okay. So they're curious, what is a fair hourly rate that we could expect to pay them? And this is, this is a tough question. This is not one of my favorite questions and I'm going to weigh in after, after you answer. I mean, pay is really like with everywhere. Pay is really based on what someone is worth to you. Um, and, you know, really, I like to compensate people based on their on their results and their commitment and their time. And, um, you know, and kind of a little bit of everything. As far as an hourly an hourly rate, you could go online, you'll see people get paid three, four, five, six, seven, eight. I mean, it kind of like ranges everywhere, but it's really about, you know, if you want a quality team member to be part of your team, you're going to want to make sure that they're compensated based not only on the hours that they're working, but on the results that they're producing for your business. 
So, mm-hmm. you know, an hourly wage in and of itself is not really like the answer to it all. That's more, again, that's like if you're going online, you want to hire someone to do something basic that's not very involved, then, you know, you have an hourly rate, you pay, and this is what it is. But if you're trying to bring someone on to help grow your business and really get to know your business and your goals are aligning and all that, then you really have to think about not just the hourly wage, which, you know, let's say you want to pay someone $4 an hour as an example, but you also really want to think about how else can you make it like, you know, more uh, lucrative for both of the people involved, you and the person that's working for you. Yeah, absolutely. See, that's, that's something I think is, is really huge. You know, I'll use a term that not a whole lot of people like we, I think sometimes we think about human capital in a way that, you know, oh, well, I can fit this human capital into this box and that's the way it is. But we have to remember that whether they're in the Philippines or India or your next door neighbor, they are people. So different things are going to be important to them. Maybe for some people, it might just be, you know what, I need to make as much as I possibly can. Uh, and that's what makes me happy as long as I'm giving my employer, you know, a good job. For other people, it's going to be flexibility. You know, I, we had, I had a VA and the most important thing to them was the fact that they could be there for their children. Uh, and so I, that's fine with me. Uh, I want to be there for my kid all the time. I can understand that. So I made sure that as long as they met these goals and, you know, everything was done every day, if it's done in four hours, fine. If it's done in six, okay. You know, uh, so make sure you're finding out what's important to the person working for you. Uh, because it's not always going to be money. Uh, and then the other thing you need to think about is where they live. If you are focusing on the Philippines, there's going to be uh, a different amount that somebody in Manila needs to make compared to somebody who lives in a small village, uh, you know, out in the countryside. So you're going to need to take that into account as well. So, yeah. Uh, but. And to your point, when you were talking about like flexibility and all that kind of stuff, that, that's what I, I touched a little bit about before. Like when, when I bring someone into my uh, on my team, it could be, like I said, it could be my next door neighbor. It could be someone in a different country. I like to know what motivates them, what their goals are, you know, what, you know, their family. I want to know more about them. You know what I mean? I want to know, like, it's I'm not hiring a computer to work for me. You know what I mean? I'm hiring a human being. I want to know about them. I want to know what, like you said, what motivates them? Is it money? Is it flexibility? Is it family? what their goals are. Is it to provide for their family? Is it to make more money? Understanding where the person on the other side of the table is sitting is important because you're bringing someone into your business. You want to make sure that you're aligned somewhere that you can grow together. You don't want to bring someone on board that is just not, you know, is not aligning with your goals and with where you're trying to go. And and you can't, or you can't accommodate what they're like, if they want flexibility and you can't have flexibility, so you can't really accommodate that. So you want to know ahead of time, some of the personal information from the employee that you're bringing on. Exactly. And you want to know what else this, this little conversation, if people were to listen to this conversation to implement this part of our conversation about VAs, you want to know what you'll never have to worry about again. You're never going to have to worry about that person going out and finding another seller to give your leads or your work to, uh, because they are going to be on your team, you know, uh, that kind of that kind of trust and mutual respect goes a long way. Uh, no matter no matter if you're dealing with someone in the U.S. or the Philippines or anywhere else in the world. Yeah, uh, I mean, and for people that are always worried, like you know, when you're working with someone remote, 
someone remote, it doesn't matter where they are. Like, there's no reason why someone in the Philippines or in the U.S. or in Bangladesh or in Ukraine is any different as far as like as when it comes to like trust, personable, work ethic. We're all human beings and we all have the same, like we're all living in that same world. We're all have families. We all have the same life. We'll eat food three times. You know, we're all doing the same thing. So as long as, you know, we work with each other on a more personal level and try to understand each other, you build that personal trust. That's not like, you know, just like a random person that's doing a random thing for you. And it's, you're building a team of people that are trusted and there's mutual respect. Like you're saying, that's what exists. Absolutely. All right. Last question. I like to ask every guest before they go. Uh, is there anything that any books that you've read or blogs that you've read or or podcasts that you've listened to or anything else that you've taken in recently uh, that's really struck a chord with you? Hmm. Uh, or it's YouTube hard to videos or what? Or I said or YouTube videos or or anything else. Yeah, I mean for me it's just like I'm my thing these days is being involved in the community. Um for example, I'm part of your Discord group. So that's like one place that I go to. Like being, for me, networking with the local people that are doing the same thing. And networking has, there's different levels of networking. It doesn't all have to be like one-on-one, -on -one, like I talk to you every day on the phone. It doesn't have to be like we're, we're like buddy buddies or anything. There's networking that's like, you know, more surface around business and it gets more personal. There could be business relationships in there, but like really networking, that's where I think I learn a lot of it. You know, again, listening to what other people have to say on the Facebook groups and a discord on a YouTube video. I really try to keep up with the, with the community these days. And that's something that was lacking, you know, mostly when I started on Amazon years ago, it didn't exist the way it is now. There is such a strong community of tens of thousands of people that are doing the same thing that you and I are doing every day. And to be able to network with those people, I mean, someone that could, have, that could have started selling yesterday may have figured something out that I didn't know in 10 years. You know, mm -hmm. so networking with the people around me for me is like really where I learn it all. And I follow different people on Instagram, on Facebook, like all the, like I really try to surround myself with this, with the community and really, uh, you know what I mean? Hear what everyone is saying so I could be um, informed about everything that's going on around me so I could be better in, in this community and also to be able to contribute better. Because if I hear someone say something in one place and then I go to location too and someone asks about it, now at least I heard it somewhere and I, and I could go impart that information. So I think that for me, that that's, is, you know, it's all based around this. That's where I, this is what I live and breathe. Yeah, that's a, that's a great tip. Uh, and I, I think we've got, I think there's a lot of lurkers. And if you can come out of the shadow a little bit, make sure, uh, you know, make sure that you are networking and it, you don't always have to help, but, you know, uh, just uh, be active in the community. It really is. It really is powerful. Uh, it's yeah. been a game changer for me. So uh, Eli, I appreciate you taking the time, man. Uh, thank you for spending a little bit of your Friday with me and, uh, and doing this. I think it was, uh, incredible. Uh, well, I think, thank you uh, for having me. Yeah, absolutely. Um, guys, thank you for being here. We had a, a nice big crowd today. I appreciate you guys taking a little bit of time, uh, to listen to, uh, me and Eli pontificate a little bit and have a, a good conversation. Make sure to go out and check out oaleadspro.com. Uh, when you've got a moment, make sure to sign up for uh, for notifications and things from Eli. He's always putting out incredible stuff. Uh, and 
make sure to like and subscribe wherever you're watching this video uh, so that the next one we do live, uh, you get notified. All right, everybody, have a great weekend, and I hope you guys absolutely crush the rest of this Q4, and I'll talk to you all soon. Hey, Chris Grant here one more time. Before you leave, thank you for taking the time to listen to this episode with yours truly and our special guest, Eli Glakowski of OAleadsPro.com. I really hope you uh, took away some actionable insight from this episode. And if you would do us a huge favor, wherever you're listening, please rate and review the podcast so that we can do some more of these. Thanks again so much for listening. I hope you guys absolutely crush it. Stay safe out there. Be kind to each other. And as always, good selling.